Chapter Seventeen. Ivanhoe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kristen Lemoyne, GreenKRI.com. Ivanhoe by Sir Walter Scott. Chapter Seventeen. Tune created and sung by John Scott Jones. Chapter Seventeen. At eve, within yon studious nook, I ope my brass embossed book, portrayed with many a holy deed, of martyrs crowned with heavenly meed. Then, as my taper waxes dim, chant ere I sleep my measured hymn. Who but would cast his pomp away, To take my staff and a mice gray, And to the world's tumultuous stage Prefer the peaceful hermitage? Wharton Notwithstanding the prescription of the genial hermit With which his guest willingly complied, He found it no easy matter to bring the harp to harmony. Methinks, holy father, said he, the instrument wants one string, and the rest have been somewhat misused. "'Ay, mark'st thou that?' replied the hermit. "'That shows thee a master of the craft. Wine and wassail,' he said, gravely casting up his eyes. "'All the fault of wine and wassail. I told Alan a Dale, the northern minstrel, that he would damage the harp if he touched it after the seventh cup, but he would not be controlled. Friend, I drink to thy successful performance.' So saying, he took off his cup with much gravity, at the same time shaking his head at the intemperance of the Scottish harper. The knight, in the meantime, had brought the strings into some order, and after a short prelude, asked his host whether he would choose a servente, in the language of Auk, or a lay, in the language of Hui, or a virle, or a ballad, in the vulgar English. "'A ballad, a ballad,' said the hermit, Against all the ox and wheeze of France. Downright English am I, Sir Knight, And downright English was my patron, St. Dunstan, And scorned ox and wee, As he would have scorned the pairings of the devil's hoof. Downright English alone shall be sung in this cell. I will essay, then, said the knight, A ballad composed by a Saxon gleeman, Whom I knew in Holy Land. It speedily appeared that if the knight was not a complete master of the minstrel art, his taste for it had at least been cultivated under the best instructors. Art had taught him to soften the faults of a voice which had little compass, and was naturally rough rather than mellow, and in short had done all that culture can do in supplying natural deficiencies. His performance, therefore, might have been termed very respectable by abler judges than the hermit, especially as the knight threw into the notes a degree of spirit, and now of a plaintive enthusiasm, which gave force and energy to the verses which he sung. THE CRUSADER'S RETURN
High deeds achieved of knightly fame, from Palestine the champion came, the cross upon his shoulders borne, battle and blast had dimmed and torn, each dint upon his battered shield was token of a foughten field, and thus beneath his lady's bower he sung as fell the twilight twilight hour joy to the fair thy knight behold returned from yonder land of gold no wealth he brings nor wealth can need save his good arms and battle steed his spurs to dash against a foe his lance and sword to lay him low such all the trophies of his toil such and the hope of tech a smile joy to the fair whose constant night her favour fired to feats of might unnoted shall she not remain where meet the bright and noble train minstrel shall sing and herald tell mark yonder maid of beauty well tis she for whose bright eyes were won the listed field at Ascalon. Note well her smile, it edged the blade which fifty wives to widows made. When vain his strength and Mahon's spell, Iconian's turban sultan fell. Seest thou her locks whose sunny glow half shows, half shades her neck of snow, twines not of them one golden thread, but for its sake a pain and joy to the fair my name unknown each deed and all its praise thine own then o oh, unbar this churlish gate the night do falls the hour is late in you to syria's glowing breath i feel the north breeze chill as death let grateful love quell maiden shame and grant him bliss who brings the fame. During this performance, the hermit demeaned himself much like a first-rate critic of the present day at a new opera. He reclined back upon his seat, with his eyes half shut, now folding his hands and twisting his thumbs. He seemed absorbed in attention, and anon, balancing his expanded palms, he gently flourished them in time to the music. At one or two favorite cadences he threw in a little assistance of his own, where the knight's voice seemed unable to carry the air so high as his worshipful taste approved. When the song was ended, the anchorite emphatically declared it was a good one, and well sung. "'And yet,' said he, "'I think my Saxon countrymen had heard it long enough with the Normans to fall into the tone of their melancholy ditties. What took the honest knight from home?' Or what could he expect but to find his mistress agreeably engaged with a rival on his return, and his serenade, as they call it, as little regarded as the caterwauling of a cat in the gutter? Nevertheless, Sir Knight, 
I drink this cup to thee, to the success of all true lovers. I fear you are none, he added, on observing that the knight, whose brain began to be heated with these repeated draughts, qualified his flagon from the water-pitcher. "'Why,' said the knight, "'did you not tell me that this water was from the well of your blessed patron, St. Dunstan?' "'Aye, truly,' said the hermit, "'and many a hundred of pagans did he baptize there, but I never heard that he drank any of it. Everything should be put into its proper use in this world, St. Dunstan knew, as well as any one, the prerogatives of a jovial friar.' and so saying he reached the harp, and entertained his guest with the following characteristic song, to a sort of derry-down chorus appropriate to an old English ditty. Begin Note It may be proper to remind the reader that the chorus of derry-down is supposed to be as ancient not only as the times of the Heptarchy, but as those of the Druids, and to have furnished the chorus to the hymns of those venerable persons when they went to the wood to gather mistletoe. End note. The Barefooted Friar I'll give thee, good fellow, a twelve-month or twain, To search Europe through from Byzantium to Spain. But ne'er shall you find, should you search till you tire, So happy a man as the barefooted friar. Your knight for his lady pricks forth in career, And is brought home at evensong pricked through with the spear. I confess him in haste for his lady desires No comfort on earth save the barefooted friars. Your monarch shall many a prince has been known To barter his robes for our cowl and our gown. But which of us e'er felt the idle desire To exchange for a crown the grey hood of a friar? The friar has walked out, and where'er he has gone, The land and its fatness is marked for his own. He can roam where he lists, he can stop when he tires, For every man's house is the barefooted friar. He's expected at noon, and no white till he comes, May profane the great chair or the porridge of plums, For the best of the cheer and the seat by the fire Is the undenied right of the barefooted friar. He's expected at night, and the pasties made hot. They broach the brown ale, and they fill the black pot. And the good wife would wish the good man in the mire, ere he lacked a soft pillow, the barefooted friar. Long flourish the sandal, the cord, and the cope, The dread of the devil, and trust of the pope, For to gather life's roses unscathed by the briar, Is granted alone to the barefooted friar. By my troth, said the knight, Thou hast sung well and lustily, and in high praise of thine order, and talking of the devil, holy clerk, are you not afraid that he may pay you a visit during some of your uncanonical pastimes? I uncanonical, answered the hermit. I scorn the charge. I scorn it with my heels. I serve the duty of my chapel duly and truly, two masses daily, morning and evening, 
primes, noons, and vespers, aves, credos, paters, excepting moonlight nights when the venison is in season, said his guest. Exceptis excipiendis, replied the hermit, as our old abbot taught me to say, when impertinent laymen should ask me if I kept every punctilio of mine order. True, holy father, said the knight, but the devil is apt to keep an eye on such exceptions. He goes about, thou knowest, like a roaring lion. Let him roar here if he dares, said the friar. A touch of my cord will make him roar as loud as the tongues of St. Dunstan himself did. I never feared man, and I as little fear the devil and his imps. St. Dunstan, St. Dubrick, St. Winibald, St. Winifred, St. Swibbert, St. Willick, not forgetting St. Thomas a Kent, and my own poor merits to speed, I defy every devil of them, come cut and long tail. But to let you into a secret, I never speak upon such subjects, my friend, until after morning vespers. He changed the conversation. Fast and furious grew the mirth of the parties, and many a song was exchanged betwixt them, when their revels were interrupted by a loud knocking at the door of the hermitage. The occasion of this interruption we can only explain by resuming the adventures of another set of our characters, for, like old Ariosto, we do not pique ourselves upon continuing uniformly to keep company with any one personage of our drama. End of chapter 17